Oh, it's you. Hello. This is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. I had a series of visions when I was younger. I saw none. Nothing scares me more than the Catholic Church, and that is the host of new horror flick, The Nun. I'm going to ask you some questions. How many are there? One guy inside the front door, second guy on the top floor. Joaquin Phoenix has perfectly made us think, what an absolute weirdo. I want to watch everything he ever does. So what brand of odd is he playing in You Were Never Really Here? All that's left is your signature, and we're good to go. Now you're officially a disciple of God's promise. Welcome. And Hollywood does not do films about female sexuality, except for the miseducation of Cameron Post. Hello, hello, my name is Kyron Wheatley and I've seen heaps of movies, but none of those. Luckily, Vary McIntyre and Michael Campbell hello. both have, and it is our solemn vow to sift through these new releases before they've been released. Our other promise is to give away a Village Cinema's Gold Class double pass. That's a little later on. First up... Word of my visions reached the church, and I was asked to accompany a priest to an abbey in Romania. The abbey has a long history. Here. The trailer for The Nun opens by demanding you watch to the end of the trailer. That's scary. The producers are worried you won't make it through the 90-second trailer. And to be honest, having stayed to the end of the trailer and subsequently filled my pants, I am truly worried that I wouldn't be able to make it to the end of The Nun. It looks king scary. Is it? It is. I would say it's not quite as scary as The Conjuring. That one moment in the trailer? That one moment in the trailer. (laughs) Though it was famous for having a trailer that was so scary it was pulled offline. Uh, Though that is a little bit of an editorial misguidance. They actually tricked people. They had a six-second pre-ad on YouTube, and on the screen it looked like your volume was going down, and then suddenly the nun popped up, and people were so scared they had to pull it (laughs) Amazing. So what's that? So have what's anything it, to do with the movie, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah. What's it about? <laughs> so uh, none that has seemingly committed suicide in a nunnery in Romania. So a young novice nun just before she takes her oath and a priest, uh, they go to investigate what's happened and they learn that there's a spooky nun haunting the halls of the nunnery. <laughs> so this I counted eight nuns. <laughs> yeah. In that, oh, you're, in that you're gonna hear the word nun a lot. <laughs> there are a lot of nuns in this movie. The demon nun. You might know from The Conjuring 2, she's so popular that she gets her own spin-off in this movie, as did the doll from The Conjuring, Annabelle. So there was two of those. Yeah, it's all connected. It's like a mini Mm. cinematic universe. It's a mini Marvel. They did everything backwards, like (laughs) Star Wars. The non-cinematic universe. The NCU. It's not bad. So this demon nun is from The Conjuring 2, which The Conjuring movies 1 and 2 were a very scary movie franchise that came out quite a while ago. And there was also a spin-off of the scary doll that's in The Conjuring, Annabelle, and she got two movies of her own as well. And then the demon nun from those movies now has her spin-off in this one. That being said, that's quite an intricate (laughs) web. I would say you don't really need to have seen any of them. No, because I haven't. I've (laughs) seen The Conjuring, the first one. Didn't see any of the other ones. Well, what The Conjuring kind of became well known for as well, and it's true of The Nun, is they're kind of like throwback horror. It feels like a 70s horror film more than, you know. But the scare. Exactly. Yeah, they've got and, really good plot lines, really good characters, not just scare. creepy imagery. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, uh, I mean, Slenderman's a very modern horror film. It's all about social media. It's all about that kind of stuff. It feels, even the score, even the set design, even the casting, it feels kind of throwback. What I really liked about this was that old world feel. So because it's set in Romania, 
And all of those outside scenes, are they completely filmed it all in Romania in this really old crumbling down castle with all these nuns. So you've got this cloistered nunnery and that's all spooky anyway. And then they're deep in the forest with nobody else around. There's graveyards and mist. And then there's some backstory a little bit of uh, how they got to this situation and what is actually happening in this old <laughs> that's castle. That's how she became the nunny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. They've given away the twist. <laughs> <laughs> so there's something spooky happening in this old castle. And the the two people, the priest and the nun, who are sent to find this out, there's a bit of backstory that they find out about it and there's the Knights Templar involved and the the Vatican. So there's all this the Da Vinci like, Code stuff history. in there. It's like a yeah. horrific Da Vinci Code almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's a pretty unique film for a horror film I mean you think of what's the classic cliche horror film bunch of teenagers cabin in the wood getting chopped up Mm -hmm. that's the this is set in Romania at the turn (laughs) of the century uh, predominantly female cast the main hero is a priest Uh, it's it's not a very common film and I know you've mentioned it previously but have we ever talked about the bestial test Yes. So yeah, the, the, the bestial test is a series of three questions to show whether females are being represented well in a movie. Yeah. You know, are there more than two female characters? Are they named? Yeah. And do they talk to each other about something other than a man? Exactly. And not only does this pass it, it passes it in the first scene. The opening of this movie passes the bestial test, which is something that horror movies, by and yeah, large, don't, don't do. do. Mm. So I think maybe that's why they went with the nun, because you can't have male nuns. So as soon as you get the nun, you're going to have a lot of them. How many times can I say nun? (laughs) We need some sort of dinger. (laughs) Ding, ding. Hello. Uh, what I liked is that it's it's not so much scary as it is creepy. So it's not an in-your-face gore scare like jump scares and they do the, the classic horror tropes like that. But they've also got really just creepy imagery. Mm. My favourite scene is there's this room that's just full of these nuns Ding! and they're all standing around <laughs> with bags on their head that's all bloody. And they're very silent and the priest guy has to navigate his way very silently through them and it's all very still and quiet and, yeah, it's just really creepy. Speaking of silence, the thing that I think is the standout in this movie is the sound design. I mean, horror movies I think are underrated for that anyway. The Academy Award for sound design will always go to like a prestige war movie or something like that. But the fact that when nothing is happening, just the the weird offsetting sounds of footsteps and everything like that. Yeah, it's always it, off camera. It creeps you the hell out. And this movie has some really, really great sound design. So sound design as opposed to sound editing? Sound design is, I mean, it's it's how things sound. It's the creepy, echoey footsteps down a hallway. So they've it's created the, these sounds, haven't they, in like studios? So. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people would assume that it's all on location. But a lot of the time, I think up to 85% of sound you hear in movies is added back in. So that's the Foley artist, which is the role of a person who sits in a lonely studio and watches the movie mm. and makes sounds out of other objects to make the soundscape that you see on, I on the I think the screen. Academy used to give the award for Foley. Yeah, mm. and, and Foley is a, is a part of it. Now sound design is, if you look at an, an editing timeline, and there's no reason that you should, you'll <laughs> see video is maybe three or four layers, but sound will be you know 50 layers deep. There's so much more sound there than you think think there is and horror movies and specifically this horror movie do it I think better than most other genres I was watching a film the other week with my headphones in and I was thinking is there another movie playing in my house 
because the sound design was so beautiful and perfect that they just put this like little murmury music in the back corner of my right headphone yeah. and I had to like take my headphones off to see <laughs> was a part of the movie yeah. or if I had left it's, the stereo. It's the kind of thing, good sound design is something that you don't notice until it's not there. A girl walking down uh, a hallway with a lamp isn't inherently scary until you hear doors creaking and you hear whispers in the background and that's what makes it scary. It's like slapping feet on concrete going past. Like Exactly. <laughs> So apart from people who loved the sequels, prequels, whatever they were, who should see this film? I think if you want a horror movie that's a little more original than a lot of stuff you're going to see lately, The Nun is actually surprisingly refreshing. Yeah, the main nun in this who investigates is Tessa Farmiga. You might know her. She's most famous for doing the American Horror Story. And although I'm very freaked out to watch any of those, my favourite was Coven, which she was in, which is about a group of witches. And it's got that vibe in it as well. So if you liked that and you like the actor, then you'll really like this. I really enjoyed it. State Senator Albert Vato. His teenage daughter's missing. What's the lead? He got an anonymous text with an address. I've heard of these places. They said you were brutal. I can be. I want you to hurt them. You Will Never Really Hear seems like not just the name of this movie, but also a good way of describing Joaquin Phoenix. I'm never going to forget one of the absolute best moments of David Letterman's old show when he interviewed a strange, distant and perfectly odd Phoenix one day. And he ended by saying... Well, I'm sorry you couldn't be here tonight, Joaquin. And from what I've seen, he plays a similarly distant oddball in this new crime thriller. Does he deserve the Best Actor Award in Cannes? I honestly, yeah, I think he does. And he is consistently one of the best actors as well. So Joaquin Phoenix likes playing these roles, doesn't he? Like, I'm not here where no one really knew if this was Joaquin Phoenix, if this was a character. When he was on David Letterman, is this him? Is that really him or is he putting on a show in this as well. He's sort of playing the similar character, but like he's fine, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I would imagine that it's something that's sellable, you know? Yeah. If, if I was Joaquin Phoenix and people really reacted to him being a little kooky in uh, I'm not here. Yeah. So confusing with these titles. Uh, I would imagine that he's like, I'm going to lean into it. And this is what's going to sell my tickets. Like her, again, he's a socially awkward guy. Yeah. And I think he is. Maybe like so, a- I want to see all of this. Like it's so watchable. He seems like the guy, if you were in like a record store, he's got the niche album that you've never heard of that's amazing and you want to know what he's doing. That's like him with movies. You're like, yeah. what's he doing over there? He wants you to think he's crazy in some way. Or at least for you not to know. I think he does a really good job at manipulating how the public and the media sees him and that's how he's able to take on these characters like in You Were Never Really Here. And because he's so close to them already. Yeah. Like you can really see him in in this film where... Mm, He really takes on that persona in and and out of character. Is it any wonder he was then recently cast as the Joker? Yeah, exactly. the, the ultimate man that no one knows what's exactly. going on with. But so what's this one about? Joaquin Phoenix, he plays a man that specializes in getting people back and getting young girls back specifically from being kidnapped. Uh, and he gets hired by a senator uh, because his daughter's gone missing and he suspects her to be in a very shady establishment. I'm speaking in generalities because it's quite a dark movie and it's quite a light podcast. 
uh, he needs to go and get the senator's daughter back. And once he does that, the whole world starts to unravel around him. Yeah, I really enjoyed this film because I got really annoyed at the end, which sounds ironic. But when I get annoyed at the end of a film, it's because I want more. And it's one of those it's one of these ones where you have to see it with a friend and talk about it afterwards because the ending is just so abrupt and unexpected that you then have to disassemble the rest of the movie and go back over it and mull it and process it in your head. And then it takes me a little while to realise if I liked it or not. <laughs> so if you ask me immediately afterwards, I'd be like, I don't know. But I've had a few days now and yes, I do. It's not for everyone. We should say that. It's yeah. a little weird. Who's not going to like what? So Joaquin Phoenix is a depressed man. He's clearly suffering from some form of PTSD. Yeah. And they kind of visually represent that in the movie. There's flashes of things. It cuts wildly to things and back. A beard, unkept hair. A beard. Oh, yeah. yeah he's, so rock, he... he's rocking a solid dad bod in this movie yeah. as well. <laughs> and he, his shirt off is, is off a lot. I mean, I've been talking about shirtless men yeah. for several episodes yeah. now. Out of 10? Out of 10? Uh, well, it depends on what scale. On the dad bod scale, he's a 10. He's like a David Harbour in Stranger Things. <laughs> level of positive. Dad bod. <laughs> but the way that they represent what he's going through is almost kind of unsettling. And I can imagine people being like, oh, I don't like to watch it. It's unsettling. It's very much the point of it. But it may turn off people that want to see, say, something like Mile 22, which is a bit more conventional. So Mile 22 that we've spoken about before is just an action movie, right? It's there to be entertaining and stuff. What, why are they doing this? Why are they going so deep? What are they trying to say? I mean, I think that the difference between Mile 22, which is very much about the action, this actually isn't very action heavy, this movie. It's very dramatic and there's a lot of implied violence. But the more I thought about it, the less violence they actually show, they imply a lot of it and they show the aftermath of violence a lot. Why are they doing that to the audience? Because it's an important thing to know that these kind of things exist. The world isn't perfect. And sure, you might want to go and see Fifty Shades of Grey a million times and see, you know. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was talking specifically to you. Get up. Can you hear me? My name is Joe. It's okay. Come here. Close your eyes. Where are you going? Taking your dad. So how is Joaquin Phoenix? Is this Oscar territory? This might be a little niche and brutal for the Oscars. The Oscars like a certain kind of film. Mm. And in fact, they even released a new category of popular film just to <laughs> shut people up. Yeah. Yeah, Black Panther can have an Oscar. Shut up. Yeah. Mm. But I think this is a little, I mean, in the Oscars eyes, it'd be too punk rock. You know, it's uh, very unsettling. It's very unglorious. I, honestly, I hope he does. But it wouldn't surprise me if they, it's a, one of those performances they overlook. That being said, he did win Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. yeah. So they also got a seven-minute standing ovation. And Ramsey, the director, won Best Screenplay. Phoenix won Best Actor. But the funny thing is that Ramsey actually admitted that what they screened at Cannes was unfinished. They actually only finished it a few days before the first public screening. So what everyone saw at Cannes, even though it won all these awards and had seven minutes standing ovation, wasn't actually the completed product. And it might be worth mentioning Lynn Ramsey. She makes a very certain kind of film. The last one she made that got a lot of attention was We Need to Talk About Kevin. With Tilda Swinton. Again, very heavy subject A matter. very disturbing film. Lodged into like everyone. It's, it's like a punchline now that we need to talk about Kevin. This is in that ilk, I would say. It's a very heavy subject matter, but it's handled so brilliantly like delicately but also 
ultra violently. I know that's a real juxtaposition, but I guess that's kind of the point. On the topic of the violence, it usually shows the aftermath of that. And I really like that. That's a point of difference as well in this, that they don't show him killing people and he uses a hammer so I don't really want to see that but it was actually budgeting issues again the director said that the budgeting didn't allow for them to do really complex action scenes so she was trying to figure a way around it and she was like oh we'll just show it after so and I think that speaks to limitations sometimes working because one of my favorite scenes is he infiltrates a house He's using that hammer like no one's business, but it's done brilliantly through security cameras. So it keeps switching every couple of seconds to a new security camera and you see where he is in the house now. And obviously they didn't have the money to stage that as a one shot action sequence. But I think it works so much better because you're kind of nervous when he's off camera. Like, where is he? What's he doing? So other than Joaquin's therapist, who should see this film? I am going to sound like a bit of an idiot here because a couple of weeks ago I said that Black Klansen was maybe my favorite movie of the year. But within like two, three weeks, this has now overtaken it. This is my favorite movie I've seen so far this year. Wow. So, so everyone. <laughs> I mean, on over me. the age of 15, 18, <laughs> what's the rating? I mean, if you, if you find <laughs> you generally agree with my point of view yeah. in movies, uh, then I think you'll like it too. It's got a similar plot to Taxi Driver, um, but a lot more dark. It's also the pacing and the cinematography reminds me of Blade Runner 2049. So if you liked that film, it's got that sort of vibe to it. This one is... Very dark, very violent, very heavy subject matter, but I think it's really interesting. And yeah, Joaquin Phoenix just glues you to the screen. Also in cinemas this week, Mark Wahlberg has stepped out of the burger shop to make an action flick. Better shooty shooty all hail America. Crazy Rich Asians is out. That's a massive film at the moment. And a genre science fiction flick kin too. Yeah, good to see some original sci-fi with a killer soundtrack. If you want to hear more about those movies, they're in the last episode, so click through in the notes below. Welcome to God's promise. And you are at an age where you are especially vulnerable to evil. Change will come through God, but within me. We're going to spend our time together investigating what led you here. The filmmaker Desiree Ackerman is known for a New York indie bisexual version of an Annie Hall sort called Appropriate Behaviour, which she wrote, starred in and directed, which normally rings warning bells for me. But it garnered the praise of Lena Dunham from Girls and a bunch of indie mags. And this time she stays behind the camera and on the front foot of films about female sexuality with The Miseducation of Cameron Post. What's it about? This is set in 1993 and a teenage girl played by Chloe Grace Moritz is sent to gay conversion camp when she's caught banging the homecoming queen. Hey, good for her. Yes. Um, So you mentioned Desiree. She directed and co-wrote it, but I've heard her say in an interview that she credits most of the writing to Kikilia Frugueli another great screenwriter and they've come together and, and made this movie and they've attracted some really good cast members in this and I really enjoy the the representation of the LGBT community in this film. Yeah, I mean, she has said, and I'm quoting, there isn't a place in America for the kind of films that I care about and those are films that deal very frankly with female sexuality. Yeah, and, and so this film, we should point out, it's in pretty limited release. In fact, it's only playing at Jam Factory, so we actually haven't even had a chance to see it. But I am hanging out for this movie because mm. when there's a filmmaker with something to say, it makes such a difference. This is what's frustrating because, you know, 
It won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance, which is the Audience Award. So audiences love it. It had 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. And when she walked out of that, Desiree Akhavan, she was expecting a bidding war, which happens after these film festivals, to get the distribution rights. And it just didn't happen. It took two months before FilmRise agreed to distribute the film. And then even then, in America and here, it's in a limited release. Because I think people think of it as an agenda film. Like, and she said it's not an agenda film, drawing attention to gay conversion therapy, but a film about becoming a teenager when your sexuality is confused and you think that there's something deeply wrong inside you. And that's not a queer idea. That's everybody. Yeah, it's a really important story to be told because it does have those universal themes, as you said. Like we have an abundance of teenage movies, coming of age, blossoming sexuality and, and freedom from adults. But there's nothing about the difficulties that some young people face and have faced, still face today as a gay person. We had the young adult movie Love, Simon, which was about a gay boy coming out to his family and friends. But that was more of a comedy drama, I guess. It seems like a a lot more gritty. There is another movie coming out uh, later this year called Boy Erased about a boy who goes to a gay conversion camp. And it'd be interesting to see how that does. That's Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton's film, yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's funny that there's something that's happening at the moment where there are more representation of these themes coming out in cinema. Well, I hope that they don't get lumped in as queer movies, you know, just and as if it couldn't have any possible wider appeal. Yeah, just because of queer what it is. It's one of those rare circumstances where you mentioned Boyer Race also being about gay conversion. The last film I can remember about the subject was in the in either the late nineties, early two thousands called But I'm a Cheerleader, which isn't a great film, but it was the only one of its type at the time, so it's an important film. And then suddenly there's two in a year. Mm. Hopefully that is a sign that it's not gonna be every twenty years now. And hopefully they get those wider releases. But I think the way that we teach distributors that we want to see these movies is to actually go and see them. Yeah. So even though it is in limited release, like I am going to be going to the Jam Factory to go and see this film because it looks fantastic. Audiences love it. Critics love it. It won the Grand Jury Prize and then it's only in one cinema. Let's just agree to put good movies on big screens. Let's go see this one. So Cambo, you said you were never really here as your favourite film so far this year. So far. For your chance to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass, go to Facebook or Instagram and leave a comment on the Cinema Crew post answering the question, what's your favourite film of the year? We're up to August. There's been a lot. We've been talking about all of them. What do you reckon? Leave us your favourite film so far this year with the hashtag The Cinema Crew and you could win. Next week, a sequel for The Predator. Christopher Robin is old now and played by Ewan McGregor. Simple Favour is a thriller novel adaption starring Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively. We had Crazy Rich Asians starring a predominantly Asian cast in a rom-com, hugely popular movie. Now we have Searching starring John Cho, a hugely popular thriller. Good God, Hollywood might be changing. And Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Yes, that's the name of the movie where we'll see teenage superheroes dreaming of Hollywood stardom. Until then, thanks, Cambo. Thank you. Thanks, Vari. Thanks. I'm Kyron Wheatley, and let's chat about those five new movies next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.